Hello and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will, Tim, and Jules, where three friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Financial Classroom. Today I'm joined by Tim and Jules, and we have a special guest named Sarah, who is a relationship anxiety coach. And today we'll be talking to Sarah about the topic of relationship and finances. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic. Well, relationships and finances, it, it can be such a taboo topic talking about finances and relationships. And so I am really looking forward to hearing what Sarah has to say on this topic and how to navigate that tricky, the time when you come into tricky situations. Yeah. And Sarah has a lot to say and she's got so much knowledge. She's got great perspectives around dating, living together, marriage any of those kinds of situations, there's something for everybody. So tune in today, episode 16. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation about relationships and finances. Yeah, so the reason we want to bring up this topic is because in today's world in North America, oftentimes the cost for divorce is finances and it's a really stressful topic and a stressful thing to bring up in a relationship. Some couples don't talk about it at all and some just struggle to bring up the conversation. So I'm hoping that by talking to Sarah, who is a coach and is specialized in this field, that she can bring some light to that. So Sarah, would you just like to say hi and kind of introduce yourself and kind of talk your background and how you became a relationship coach? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It's awesome to be here. Um, I am a relationship anxiety coach. And what that means is I help specifically women, but my platform also gives advice to men. Um, I coach them whether or not they should stay or go in their relationship and how to move through their anxiety to actually appreciate the partner that they have in front of them. And I got this experience and decided to become a coach through my own relationship. I am four years happily with my current boyfriend, but couple of those years, I was really stuck in my head and coming from parents who got divorced, I was just always worried, is that going to happen to me? Am I going to find the perfect partner to make sure that that doesn't happen? And just really trying to get all my ducks in a row to the point where it was hindering my ability to actually show my partner gratitude and appreciation. So now I help other people do the same because I know a lot of people are in really happy relationships and just trying to, you know, find that way to show that love for their partner. And um, I did a series, I think a few months ago, which is how we all got connected about love and relation. I mean, love, excuse me, and money, uh, because money is such an important topic to talk about in relationships. So happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. You had mentioned that your parents were divorced. Growing up, did they talk about finances at all? Was that uh, something that they fought about or how did that play into their relationship and for you to, to see as a kid growing up? Yeah. So I think it definitely played into it. I don't have very specific memories around the conversations being around money, but I do know that actually similar to my current partner and I, um, my parents had slightly different views around money. My mom was pretty, you know, regimented saver growing up. She has her 401k, like pretty much religiously in order and kind of started it young and encouraged me to do the same. And my dad, unfortunately did not do that as much when he was younger, but kind of learned from those mistakes and pushed me to get a financial advisor and have those ducks in a row because he felt a little guilty that he had not done the same thing. Um, But it is interesting just how much we do pick up from our parents and caretakers Mm -hmm. and money, especially if that's an issue, you know, whether or not they had positive or negative relationships with money, that is definitely something that is in our subconscious locked in there and really affects how we show up in our relationships with money. 
So for you and your boyfriend, have the two of you always been on the same page financially or has that been like a bit of a journey and like figuring that out together? What does it look like? Um, do you guys have combined finances, separate finances? Yeah, happy to chat through that. So as of right now, since we're not married, we do not have combined finances, but just in the last year or so, we really started talking about our vision for our finances. I actually really recommend a book called Eight Dates by John and Julie Gottman, who are relationship experts. And one of the chapters they talk about, um, the the concept behind the book is you go on eight different dates to talk about eight important topics. And one of those Mm -hmm. conversations is around money. And it's just such an important pillar of all relationships. And so this year, we did that book together and had a lot of great conversations, some of which included, what are your parents' and grandparents' perspectives around money? How did that get passed on to you? What does money make you feel like? Does it make you feel secure? Does it make you feel taken care of? Does it give you freedom? What does money mean to you? So a lot of those conversations were had for the first time. And um, I think that eventually we will combine our finances. But as of right now, we're both, I would say that we're both pretty financially stable. And we also both are very financially, you know, set on being able to set ourselves up for future success. So my boyfriend specifically is a big investor. He would love this podcast. (laughs) Um, And myself, I'm a little bit more of like that consistently put it away, kind of like I learned from my mom and not look at it too much. But I would say the difference between me and my boyfriend is that he's a little bit more I would say I'm a little bit more risk averse and he's a little bit more risky. And I think a good example of that is like, if we're out at the casino and there's $500 left on the table, I'm like, let's take it and run. And he's like, no, it's all or nothing at the end of the night. So that's kind of like a little silly example, but I think, um, he came from a family with a little bit more money. So to him, um, the value of money is not the same as it is for me. So So you talked about like, what does money mean to you is kind of one of the big questions that was asked in this book and that you and your boyfriend kind of asked each other. So I guess, can you walk us through that? Like, what is, what is evaluating that look like for, for an individual or for between a couple? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I won't go into too many different options because I think that will derail the conversation, but a couple ones that I really resonated with were either freedom or security and safety. And I think those have two very different meanings, right? So if if someone's like saving up, so they have the freedom to do whatever they want, the freedom not to stress out, that's very different from the someone that is coming from like a scarcity mindset and needs to feel safe and needs to have a certain amount of money in order to, you know, X, Y, Z, do certain things with their family or feel comfortable spending that money. So Diving deeper into some of the words that resonate with you when you think of money or how you act um, about money, is money like, does greed come up? Like, do, do you feel like people who have a lot of money are greedy or mean or evil? Like, do you think that it's great to have a lot of money in abundance? What does that mean for you? And then having the understanding not only for yourself, but about your partner, because for example, for me, um, I can tend to be, I would say a little bit more frugal. Like I will buy like a shopping spree of $300, but then when something is like a burger costs $15, I'm like, what? Like, how is that so much? So I think it's just little things that the value of money can change by person to person, but really having that understanding with your partner can help you understand so that if you're out at the burger place and and you're with me and Nate's like, oh, don't even bother ordering that because you're just going to think it's like a waste of money um, and just knowing those things about your partner so that you don't get annoyed or question why they're doing something. Awesome. So obviously on this podcast, we talk money and Tim and I have talked about the fact that money is a very taboo topic in North America, uh, within households, within 
even buddies, friends, good friends, and they're willing to talk about anything and everything, but money seems to be like off topic. So what are some tips that you recommend when you get into relationships, or even if you've been in a relationship for four years or 10 years, or you've been married and that subject is super hard to bring up. What are some tips that you have for couples out there to bring up finances and why it's so important to talk about their finances? So I think not only with just finances, but anything that's important to talk about, it's always good to come into the conversation with your guard down and start by, you know, sharing that you feel vulnerable and uncomfortable, even maybe talking about this. Because I think when you say something like that, the, the person that you're talking to can respond with empathy and understanding. And if you're like, hey, I really wanted to start talking more about our finances and it's a topic that's really important to me to start understanding more. And I really want to get aligned and on the same page. Uh, would you be willing to have this conversation? And that opens the door where you're not forcing it, but you're just asking genuinely if the person's willing to have the conversation and listen. And I think that does, you know, that goes past finances. But I think sharing that it's valuable to you, why it's valuable to you, and then asking if they have the space and energy to have that conversation in that given moment. Yeah, I like that advice. My um, my dad always says in a conversation that you should always ask the person their permission to enter the conversation and you're entering it in together and it's not like a bombardment. In, in regards to handling money, how would you suggest couples handle money? Like, Let's say they have separate bank accounts, then they get married, and then it comes to the decision of putting joint accounts together or who takes care of the money, who takes care of the investing? How would you navigate through that conversation? Yeah. So I think, I don't think there's one black or white answer of how it should happen, but I do think it's important to both be on the same page versus one person just assuming the role of managing the money and one person kind of taking a backseat unintentionally. Mm -hmm. If that happens, I think that's okay. And I know some people even like roles reverse. It doesn't matter what gender or even same gender couples who someone's like, I don't want to have anything to do with the money. And that's their choice. But I mm -hmm. think that coming to the table together and deciding, do you both want to be equally involved? Does someone want to take the lead, but then you consult over major financial decisions? Is there a certain threshold where like purchases over XYZ, we want to have a conversation around it? Um, you know, just really laying it all out there and not being afraid to talk about how you're going to feel in a certain financial situation so that it doesn't come up later. Um, or, you know, like my friend and her husband, I think they give each other like $500 a month, or I don't know if that might be high, um, just to spend on whatever they want, no questions asked. And then the rest of the money is combined. So they don't feel like they have to check in on every single purchase. So I think things like that are really important to get in sync about. And do you think it's important for both spouses, maybe in a case where, where one spouse is kind of generally looking after the finances, do you think it's still important for both to be kind of aware of what their financial situation is? Like, are we doing really well? Are we drowning in debt? Is that important? If it's important to you guys that both people know, then definitely for me personally, I think it would be important to know just because like anything else, I would want to be in sync with my partner about it. And I think mm -hmm. especially, I mean, if you're doing great, then maybe, you know, you don't need to check in as frequently, but especially if there was like needing to pay off debt or like you guys were not in a good financial place, I would want to make sure I wasn't overspending or acting carelessly in an attempt to... <laughs> try and help the situation. So I think for me, I'm always in this in the spirit of transparency and just 
being on this exact same page, but for some people it might make them uncomfortable and they only want to be updated every so often. So I think that's probably a personal preference. Hey guys, are you tired of having money in your savings account and collecting minimal interest? Yeah, you got anything that you can suggest? As a matter of fact, I do. EQ's Bank Savings Plus account has an everyday interest rate of 1.5%, a perfect place to keep your emergency fund without the risk and guaranteed return. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I heard they also have the flexibility of a checking account for everyday banking, such as paying for bills and transferring money. That's right, Tim. And to top it all off, EQ Bank offers free transfers and free transactions when you need to move your money around. Sign up today with EQ Banks using the link found in the show notes and on our social media bios. So Sarah, earlier you mentioned that you're more, you're a frugal person. And like, for example, your husband is more wild on the investment side. You gave that example of the casino. So let's say we flip that to one's a extreme saver, one's extreme spender, which happens like you have, you're in a relationship where one is a saver and one's a spender. My wife and I are kind of like that. I'm the saver and she's more of a spender, but we worked out like a, a way that we can talk to one another about our expenses. But what are your suggestions for couples like that who say one or let's say both sides are spenders or both sides are extreme savers? I mean, if you're both spenders, it's it's going to be hard to save money and that could cause stress, but what are your advice for, say, if you're opposite, a spender or a saver? Yeah, so I think there's a two-part answer, and um, this might, I don't know if people always will agree with this, but I do think that it's important if there's a negative connotation with like either spender or a saver to kind of like remove the judgment of either label. And it's okay to acknowledge one person tends to save more, one person tends to spend more, but I think everyone is a spender or a saver if something's really important to them or not important to them in different ways. So kind of removing um, between the couples, at least like any of the judgment of the labels. But the second part of that answer, I think, is especially if you're trying to save for something important, like a goal or a vision together, I think that making sure that the spender is on the same page of how much should be getting contributed to that goal. And then the saver, you know, also being able to listen to the spender and just say, Hey, like to my well-being and happiness, I need to spend on these things and be able to come to some sort of agreement where the saver isn't constantly getting upset with the spender and vice versa. So I think there needs to be some communication around what flexibility the other couple or partner is willing to endure or, you know, have in the relationship so that you're not constantly feeling like it's going back and forth in a battle. Yeah. Sarah, I love when you said that to remove the judgment of the label, to remove the judgment of the saver or the judgment of the spender. And it's just, it's who they are and to move forward from there without having that connotation around it. I often see in certain like financial Facebook groups where there's single people and they often ask the question, like, how do I find somebody who's like-minded with me with finances? In when people are like so focused on finances, especially like in, let's say in their twenties, it's really hard to find somebody who is like-minded. How would you advise a person navigating the dating world like that? And do you have any tips and tricks for them? Yeah. So. If I was in a former life back in the dating pool, I think I would do things so much differently. And I think I would be much more transparent upfront about what I'm looking for. And if I notice patterns of someone that I'm not looking for, I would not expect 
that me dating them is going to change that. Especially when people are younger, you kind of, you go on a couple of dates and you're vibing with someone and then you're like, what if this is the one? And like, you kind of like jump two years ahead and you're looking for all of the great <laughs> things that they have. But if you are like, financials are so important to me, I'm looking for that as one of my key values in a partner then the right person won't be scared away by you sharing how you actually feel about that. So uh, amen to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like don't try to impress somebody. And then later, two years later, be like, Oh crap. Like they're not spending the same way I was hoping. It's because you tried to be like them in the beginning when you should really just stand true to what you believe. And if that person's on board, then they're going to, agree with you. And if not, then, you know, you're one step closer to finding the person who will. So I think, you know, you're not going to find a partner without flaws, but if there's core values to you, like finances that are a big part of your decision, then don't like hold back your thoughts, just try and impress the person. So when you start dating somebody just in the beginning steps, or is it okay to ask about debt and finances, or is that something that should wait till later on? Or maybe that's something that you just kind of hold back on and you can kind of get a sense based on, you know, as you're going out for dinner with them or things like that, maybe you'll pick up on things or what are your thoughts around that? Definitely. Like you don't want to sit down and be like, Hey, nice to meet you. Like you got any debt, you know, like, I think there's, <laughs> like what's your 401k? First... <laughs> that's not what your current boyfriend, that's not what he did to impress you on your first date or what? No. <laughs> No, no. I think I would have probably actually bolted out the other way if he had. <laughs> so I think I would say it's important to, I don't think you should shy away in the first few dates from opening up the doors to the conversation. I think, I mean, this is a financial podcast, so I think a lot of people listening, that's a value of theirs. So if you value finances and money, and that's a really important thing to you, then you can open up that conversation when they ask, like, what are you interested in and kind of let it happen that mm, way. But point. I think Jules, like what we were just saying about the spender and saver label, try to remove any sort of judgment in the question, just be curious. And, you know, hopefully it comes up that way. But I do think like, you don't want to get 10 or 20 dates in and start finding out that they're really misaligned because then you're invested, like I said, and you're going to be thinking, you know, a few years out by then. So I think don't shy away from something that means a lot to you and whether that's finances or whether that's religion or whether that's, you know, your career, or even just the fact that you really want this relationship to work out and you're not just like messing around. There are certain things that you can say up front to somebody and not feel ashamed of that. And that's, that's just who you want to be. Now, yeah. one thing that I have learned from my working career is my core. I used to work at an accounting firm. And what they told me was that a tax return is the greatest uh, dating profile that you will ever find because you can see if they are generous, you can see if they have any medical problems, you can see, you can see everything. <laughs> Just thought I'd drop that in there. So if, if that is something that does concern you, you can see how much money they're making. You can become an accountant. Just audit and them. <laughs> Pick and choose from there. Just thought I'd drop that little tidbit in there for our listeners. <laughs> that Tim, is you, too funny. Tim, are you being paid to recruit for your company right now? Uh, no, I don't work for the accounting firm anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. But for listeners out there, if you want to know what your spouse is at right now, maybe we'll work for an accountant. <laughs> no. Or even just offer to help your crush with her tax return. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, like growing up when I was a teenager, my dad would always say this, and I don't know if he was joking or I think there's truth to it now. He's always said that the people are going to be the most dishonest in a job interview and dating. 
Mm. And yeah. I, what do you think about that, Sarah? Yeah, that's, I think that is spot on because kind of what I was saying about trying to impress the other person, it's only natural when you are vibing with someone, you really like them, you mm-hmm. want them to also reciprocate. And sometimes it's unintentional, but we are kind of either emphasizing or like reducing something that we believe or think because we want the other person to agree with it. So that's why I think especially you can't go in necessarily on a first or second date talking about like 10 to 12 important values of yours and like making sure they check those boxes. But for those listening, if you do value someone that has the same financial goals as you, again, try and just weave that in like right off the bat and stand true to what you believe instead of just having the conversation be tailored around what someone else is saying. That's awesome. And Jules, I agree with that where people are dishonest with you in job interviews and on first date, but as a law enforcement officer (laughs) who, you know, I get lied to my face on a daily basis. So uh, it's, yeah. Anyways, um, (laughs) I just thought I'd bring that up too. Uh, No, it's true. I'll have to tell my dad that it's dating (laughs) interview and when you're being interrogated by the police. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. so i'll have to get you to come to regina sometime and be my wingman so you can know if uh you know <laughs> the person i'm talking to is lying to my face exactly yeah so sarah what is your number one tip to ensure that finances don't become stressful in a relationship yeah so there's a couple of things one we've talked about this a few times already but just mm-hmm. continuing communicating around money i think it's better to instead of sweeping something under the rug or letting the dust settle that expression having those micro conversations while they are relevant and you know if you're thinking something and you have a question or if you have a concern share that with your partner in that moment so it doesn't blow up into a larger conversation later but in the opposite advice, pick your battles as well. So I think it's really important, you know, not every single thing needs to be this argument or a nitpick. So if there's something that you and your partner have talked about that is really meaningful to you, continue to bring that up. But if it's like a little silly thing, like I've just learned to bite my tongue if we're out gambling, because me and my boyfriend have so much fun, like at the casino, like getting a couple of drinks and doing that. But you know, I, if he's going in with his budget for the night, I'm not going to nitpick that anymore because that's something we've already kind of talked about and aligned on. So just choosing when or when not to speak up about something, but always having the open dialogue as an option. Yeah, I love that. Like sending the foundation in the relationship, but not making a nitpicky thing in every single moment when you're having fun, like you said at the casino. You've already set the foundation for finances. You both know where you're at both understand each other. And then when you go out and have fun, you don't need to be making it a fight. Just enjoy your time and then reset the next day and make sure you're still on the same page. Yep. I love that. And I think that applies not only to financial advice, but a lot of other parts of the relationship too. This is, this Mm -hmm. is kind of a little bit off topic, but one thing that, so when my wife and I got married, we went to Mexico for our honeymoon and we went on an all-inclusive trip and she looks back now, cause I'm a very like, I budget and like trying to figure out like how much we should spend eating out and all that. And so like, she's like, it was like a blessing in disguise, like going to an all-inclusive resort because we didn't have to go to different restaurants or like think about, Oh, how much am I spending at this restaurant or how much am I spending on this amusement park or, or et cetera. It's all just like, it's all inclusive. So it kind of took all that stress there. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's a great example of being proactive in like, I mean, I don't know if you even did that intentionally, but I think 
if you know that about yourself or if you know that about your partner, don't try and put yourselves in the situation where it's just going to tempt you guys to either argue or like, you know, have the person spend a lot or have the person need to say something. So for yourself and your boyfriend, you mentioned that you guys like, because you aren't married, you keep your finances separate. So in that kind of a situation, do you guys still talk with each other about finances? And if so, what do those conversations look like? Yeah, I would say we do to a degree, but because we've had more of those foundational conversations, like we were just saying, I don't think we need to check in as frequently, but we are, um, when we move, we're moving to Sweden, which I don't know if I said yet in this podcast, I was chatting with you guys before about this, but we're moving to a new country together. It's going to be the first time that we have our names on a lease together because we actually were doing long distance before this. So I think this is going to be a good test where we're starting to have those conversations around who's paying for what. Are we splitting the lease 50-50 or are we going to do it based on who's making more at that time? And I think both of us are pretty open to the idea that not everything has to be 50-50. I don't think there's those expectations. And, you know, like I'm not the type of person where you pay for this dinner, then I need to pay for that dinner. But I'm also not the type of person that's like, you should be paying for all of the dinners and expecting that. So I I think we both try and have just a pretty balanced and casual dynamic around money. But if there are any issues that come up around it, we try and have a conversation that's a little bit more formal. So it doesn't feel like it's slipping by without it being brought back up. So it's kind of more that both you and him are meaningfully contributing to any kinds of you know shared costs or common activities or things like that. Totally. And we both um, have funds or you guys are going to laugh because I have like the worst technical terms, but we have automated funds like a travel fund, for example, or an apartment fund where every certain amount or, you know, every month there's like a hundred going into this account, a hundred going into that account. So we both have kind of come up with those shared goals together. And we both have been saving for rent money and travel money for a while now, knowing that we didn't want to have to budget all at once one month for that type of thing. So I think we're both pretty intentional in that regard. And when we went on a big trip in 2019, thankfully before COVID hit, we went like on a two week trip and we had both been saving a good amount of money each month for that trip, knowing that it was going to be coming up and not wanting to spend it all at once. So uh, just curious, just for, just cause we're curious, how did you guys meet? So we actually met through mutual friends at a concert and he, we were doing like a large group and went on a party bus and his friend invited him. He took the last spot and didn't know anybody else except for the friend. So I was the first person that kind of greeted him and said hello through a mutual friend. And then we just kind of hit it off through the rest of the night. That's cool. Hey, Sarah, I've got maybe a tricky question for you. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's say you, a person gets married, they're in it together. They're making financial decisions that end up where they're like in debt buy quite a lot. And then one day the spouse, one of them wakes up with an epiphany, like, oh my gosh, what have we done? How are we going to get out of this? So he's like, he or she, the one is dead set on getting rid of debt, does all the research, like, hey, we got to get rid of this and sell our vehicles and, and stop eating out. But spouse two is totally against it, making any kind of lifestyle changes. And now they're at a crossroads. What do they do? 
That is a tough one. I think (laughs) this is an interesting question because it actually is reminding me of some of what's going on in the United States right now politically. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people are on complete opposite ends, the only thing that you can do is find like some small ounce of common ground, even if it's just 1% what can you agree on? And I don't, you know, without knowing the specific circumstances of the couple, I know this is a hypothetical, but I think, you know, trying to find at least one ounce of common ground, like, do we want our like kids to be healthy if they have kids or do we want our relationship to be healthy and grow in the long term? Do we want to keep our house? Like, can we agree on even one little thing and then try to break down some of the other things that feel like they're butting heads on. Um, Cause if you start with one little piece of commonality, then that usually opens up the doors for other things that you can agree on in that situation. Thanks. So for, uh, do you have any examples on what that common ground might look like in, in that kind of a situation? If let's say that they're in debt, but they both really love to travel or they're in hmm. debt and I don't know, they have a pet or a child or something like that. Like, can you agree on one thing in the future that you both hmm. want to do together um, that you need to save money for, or, you know, even losing the house or something like drastic, the hmm. partner that's a saver could, you know, say, I really value this. And I think we both do too. Like, can you agree that this is something that's important to you? And then once there's that common ground of realizing that there's something you are looking to in the future that you need money for, or you need to slowly like undo the damage that can be kind of the, the guiding light, if you will, to try and start chipping away at some of the other spending that's going on. Sarah, I, I've loved all of your advice so far. And I'm just dying to ask you, how did you end up becoming a relationship anxiety coach? What brought you to this? It's just, I know it's not about finances, but I'm just super curious. Yeah, definitely. So I just knew what it was like to experience relationship anxiety. And personally, when I was going through it, I felt so alone. I thought it was so uncomfortable to try and talk to my friends who are in really happy relationships about being with this perfect partner on the outside to everybody. And even to me, like I I was like, this is the perfect person for me, but I'm having these doubts. I was just embarrassed and ashamed of what I was going through. And when I finally did slowly start to realize one, other people were going through this, I started getting through it myself and, you know, doing your research. I realized that there were a ton of other people who were likely in my same scenario, but they just didn't know that they were you know, in the same boat as other people. They didn't know that there was a way to get through it. And now that I've started this journey, just in even the last six months of opening up my story and sharing with people, I've gotten, I don't know if it's hundreds now or thousands of people reaching out saying that they have experienced the exact same thing. They resonate with my story and they didn't realize that they weren't alone in this too. So I think my ultimate goal is just to really help people because I know how scary and upsetting it feels Mm -hmm. when you're in this relationship that you want to work so badly, but your mind is getting in the way. I love that. And just to let people know that they're not alone. I don't know if you've noticed this, but especially in today's day and age with social media everywhere, I think so many people feel like alone in that big world. There's so much noise. And yet when you calm it down, they're like, maybe everyone's feeling the same way, but no one's sharing those deep, dark feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And it could even be tied back to finances. Like some people feel ashamed that they are in debt or that they don't have their finances in order or just whatever Mm -hmm. it is. I feel like people think that they're the only one going through it, especially if it's a taboo topic. 
So mm-hmm. the more you can open up and share that you're struggling, then the more people can one be like, Oh, I'm not alone in that. But two, it makes you just feel less ashamed of it and less like you're hiding something. Sarah, you've been so awesome to have on. There's so many different tips that you gave regarding relationships. And I'm sure you and your boyfriend will have a wonderful future down the road. Um, you say you're moving to Europe, correct? Yes, Shortly we're moving here? to Sweden. Yep. To Sweden. And obviously Sweden is, is in Europe. And so we're going to play a game called Break the Piggy Bank. <laughs> so you are about to take a hammer and you smash your piggy bank with all your coins and savings in there. And so top five places that you would travel to in Europe. Mm, this is a good one. So number one would be Switzerland because I studied abroad there and I've been missing it so much. I can't wait to go back. Number two, I love Lisbon, Portugal. Um, those are two places I've already been. The third one, which I've never been to, I really want to go to Croatia. I've heard such good things mm-hmm. about that. Why Croatia? Um, I've just see like the beaches there are beautiful and Game of Thrones was filmed there. So <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Check that out. I think those are my top three. Um, Another one that I'm really excited about is I want to go to like the very top of Scandinavia. So whether it's Norway or Finland or even Sweden, I want to see the Northern Lights. So that's like a general area that I want. Have you seen the Northern Lights before? Never. So super excited, girl. (laughs) I can see in my backyard sometimes. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I did not realize. Okay, you guys are definitely farther north than I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's number four. And then, hmm, I feel like my other bucket list item would not be in Europe, actually. I really want to go to Thailand. I've never been to Asia, so that's another one on my list. I've never been to Thailand, but, like, you have so many friends that have been to Thailand, and just, like, it's so cool, like, seeing the beaches and, like, petting elephants and things like that i just think it's that'll be like wicked so yeah definitely i'll be a little bit closer over there so i I definitely want to make sure at some point when we're there we can explore past europe as well yeah definitely those are good good options um also check out prague as well prague is gorgeous yes i i think i stopped by prague like briefly in the winter when we were abroad so i want to go back when it's warmer Mm because i'm sure it's a whole different experience how cold is Sweden? So as a general country, a lot colder than where I'm from. But in the <laughs> southern tip where we're staying, um, I think on Christmas Day, it was actually warmer in Sweden than it was outside of northern Virginia and D.C. So I think, you know, it's going to have days where it feels probably pretty chilly, but days where it's not so bad. Awesome. Well, good luck on your big move. Thanks for playing Break the Piggy Bank. That was, uh, yeah, I've never been to Europe and I think it would be phenomenal. And you're making a huge jump in life down the road. You'll look back 10 years from now, it'll be worth it. Absolutely. Well, I know that we have only met virtually, but if anyone's ever in Scandinavia, you guys know where to find me. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So it's been such a pleasure having you and I've loved everything that you've said I feel like I've related to it um everything is just like clicking yes yes for our listeners out there how do they find you on this big interweb yes yes my little corner of the internet is over at you love and you learn on Instagram and okay. I do have a blog at you love and you learn.com which I put out just one article, usually once a week, but sometimes it's only a few a month. That's a little bit more of a longer form. And 
if anyone listening to this has resonated and wants to consider working together more with a private coach or in group coaching, I also offer those as well. Cause like I said, I don't want people to feel like they're struggling alone or suffering in silence with something that Mm -hmm. I've been through. So if anyone is interested in that, feel free not only to connect me on Instagram, but shoot me a DM and I would love to chat more. You love and you learn on Instagram for listeners out there. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. It's been so much fun talking with you. And I feel like it's been a really unique experience, um, especially because on a financial podcast, we don't always get to have the opportunity of like, for example, we might have somebody who will often specialize in finance, talk about relationships, but it's it's such a huge treat to have somebody who specializes in relationships talk about the finance side of things. And that's been, I've learned so much and it's been so good talking with you. Yeah. And just a couple of things to recap for the listeners. If you want to know something about your partner or there's something concerning you, open up. Communication is key. It doesn't have to be taboo. We keep saying that on the show that I, I think the more we talk about it, the more we have open conversations like we're having right now, the more we have open conversations with our friends, uh, partners, mm-hmm. family, whoever, it, it just becomes a lot more, yeah, a lot easier to talk about, a lot easier to have those have common goals and common ground. Cool. Awesome. Sarah, you've been wonderful to have on. And I'm glad this worked out because... We took multiple different scheduling to try and get you on and it worked out. And um, obviously you're very knowledgeable. And like Tim mentioned earlier, it's awesome to have someone who specializes in relationship, talk about the financial side of things. And I think this is super important because I love the fact that my wife and I can talk about finances all the time. In fact, she's probably sick and tired of hearing about finances from me. Um, I have financial podcasts running all the time. Uh, I talk about fire with her all the time. And, Good thing uh, you have me as an outlet. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, though, with that being said, I think it is super important to talk about money. And you've been super knowledgeable. And I love all the tips that you gave, like like the common ground thing. I think that was super cool too. like if you disagree on. And that's not just finances, too. Right, Sarah? It's everything in life. Like if you really disagree on things, find a common ground and come together. So thank you so much. And uh, for listeners out there. If you want to get hold of Sarah, yeah, you find her on her Instagram or give us a shout at financialclassroom at gmail.com. If you can't find her somehow, just uh, we'll, we'll get you plugged in with her. And thank you so much for listening. And for those of you who are on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would greatly help. And until next time, thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.